We'll be in the first seven verses, and so we're going to read responsively like we do each week. We will begin together in verse 1 and then read every other verse out loud together. Now, how many of you have had a cup of coffee this morning? Raise your hand. All right, you need to read the Bible as though you've had a cup of coffee. Read with some energy, amen? And read with some excitement. Let's, let's put our ump in it. If you'll, if you'll read as well as you sing, we'll be in good shape, all right? Let's begin together in verse number 1. The Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The title of the message this morning on this bus emphasis Sunday is this, Bearing the Burden of Your Brother. Bearing the Burden of Your Brother. Boy, we need each other to get through life, don't we? It, uh, sometimes life can be so overwhelming that we just don't feel as though we can move another inch without someone to help us bear our burden. Even the Lord Jesus himself had Simon come along and help him carry his cross to Calvary. Many of you may be familiar with the book Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, I believe it was. And in the story there, the, the, um, the, the Christian fiction story, uh, Christian who is the weary traveler, comes to the cross and lays his burden down. I'm so thankful that Jesus allowed me to lay my burden down at the cross. And I'm so thankful for church, where when my burdens get so heavy, I have siblings in the Lord that can help me bear those burdens. Romans 15 tells us that the strong are to help bear the infirmities of the weak. We're going to take a look today at what that means. What that means as a church, and also what that means societally. Because we have a whole bunch of broken people in this world, and we need Christians to do their part to help bear the burdens of their brother. Let's pray together this morning and ask God to be with us as we uh, open his word and understand it and preach it. Lord, as we meet this morning, Spirit of God, would you help me to preach a true word? Lord, may the word that's preached be uh, fair to the text, or may we not stretch anything or change a, a meaning uh, in any way. Lord, help, uh, help us to stay away from exaggeration or, um, uh, or, or hyperbole. Lord, help us to preach the Word of God in a way that's pure and true. And Lord, may your words pierce the heart of each listener. Spirit of God, move within me, but Lord, also move within each individual here. May the preacher and the receiver of the word uh, uh, have the Spirit of God dripping off both ends. Lord, would you soften our hardened hearts? Would you show us where we're calloused and cold? Would you warm us to truth? And Lord, would you help us to go forth today determined to live out the Bible? In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm going to do my best to keep my introduction uh, short this morning because we have a whole lot we want to get to. Uh, but I just want to uh, begin the message this morning by handing out some thank yous to some people in our church that make our bus ministry possible. A few years back, our senior saints uh, helped raise a bunch of money through a tag sale uh, so we could buy some buses. And we had some buses on the property to replace some of our older buses and we got those here, and it was just one mechanical problem after another. And the insurance was high, and the fuel was high, and the bus repairs were high, and getting drivers to drive them was difficult. And so earlier this year, we made the decision to transition away from using our own buses to renting, a, a local, renting from a local bus company. And we've been doing that uh, minus for a few months in the middle of the pandemic. 
We've been doing that for the duration of uh, the year. And I have to say it's been wonderful uh, because uh, it's really helped us. I believe it's financially been cheaper for us to go that route, but it's been consistent. We've had a modern bus that's worked well. We've had a, a driver each and every week without any issues. And, uh, but that's cost some money. That's cost some money. And a few of you in here, I don't know names because I don't look at who does specific giving, but a few of you in here have given on your offering envelope each week toward the bus ministry. And I don't believe that the bus rental has cost us a dime out of our church budget. Designated giving has, has covered the cost of that bus rental. And if you are doing the giving toward that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making that contribution uh, because all of these folks that ride our bus would otherwise not have a ride and it's providing them transportation to be able to get here. And so thank you to those that are making the financial contributions. I'd also like to take a few minutes. The Bible says, With old, not honor from whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. And so I was given strict instructions on what I can and cannot say this morning. Um, our church's bus captain is my wife, Miss Angela Lejeune, and she very faithfully goes out each Saturday or most every Saturday and visits and looks for new people to, uh, to, to come and ride. And uh, she's up texting people at nighttime, and uh, she's really given her heart to making our bus ministry work and go and grow. And listen, every ministry that I have known her in, all the way back from Bible college forward, if that church has had a bus ministry, my wife has been involved in it, every single one of them. It's where her heart is. Uh, she loves to do it, and uh, it's something that's near to my heart. And so to see my wife care about it so deeply is, is just, uh, uh, it, it, it warms me, and, and, and I love that. We have some other uh, folks who work to make our bus ministry happen, and uh, I believe many of them are in the service right now. And so if I call your name and you're in the service, if you would stand for me, Kyrie Leon. Kyrie here uh, rides and helps. Miss Sochi Salinas, stand up for me. You're already on the piano. Everyone knows who you are. And um, Angela, if you would go ahead and stand for me. Thank you very much. And then um, stay standing for me for just a moment here. And then we have some other people who invest. Miss Alexa Palomo, uh, she's back in the teen class, but uh, she rides each week. And then we have others who are involved, uh, not directly on the bus, but ministering to the kids when they get here. Mike Scarpetti, Mike and Rachel Rivera, Andres and Hope Barrios, and then all of our Master Club workers. Miss Joanna, if you'd stand as well for me. Uh, thank you. She helps with our Master Club. Any other Master Club workers in the room right now? If so, if you would stand. Let's give these a round of applause as a thank you. Very good. You can be seated. We are thankful for the people who are not uh, only investing their finances, but their energy and their time, uh, making those time investments into reaching uh, those in Bridgeport who otherwise wouldn't be able to come. Currently, we have uh, about 30 boys and girls, uh, teenagers, and because uh, teenagers are not boys and girls. No, we have uh, 30 uh, boys and girls, 30 teens, or, uh, teens and adults uh, that are on the bus each week. We have a few more than that, but uh, there's a rotation of who rides and doesn't ride, and uh, we are thankful for all of those who come on our bus now, I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk to you about Romans chapter 15, and I want to challenge the church. I want us to evaluate our involvement in reaching those who are weak. I propose that many Christians are far too comfortable in their daily living. Far too comfortable. They are too busy guarding, protecting, maintaining their own comfort to worry about the weak that are among us. We have large masses of people that are broken because of generational sin. And you know what many Christians are guilty of doing? Sitting from their comfortable perch and judging those who don't have what they have. Boy, Christian... Let me just say right here that if it weren't for the grace of God, you'd be right where they are. And if God's grace had worked differently, they'd be where you are. Let's not judge. 
It's okay to, uh, for Christians to make righteous judgments in that they're discerning. It's not okay for Christians to be condemning, condemning of someone else. We're so busy trying to keep up our schedules so that we can guard our comfortable lifestyle. We move at such a neck break speed that we don't have the time or the energy or the finances to love on those who are less fortunate than we are. Through the message this morning, my prayer is that several of you will have your heart stirred toward our bus ministry. Some of you will get far, far more involved than you currently are in this ministry, and so you can help us to bear someone else's burden. We're going to look at Romans 15 this morning. We're going to look at all seven verses we just covered, and we're going to draw out from those seven verses five principles, five truths about this concept of the bus ministry on this Bus Emphasis Sunday as we consider the topic bearing, a, uh, bearing uh, the burden of your brother, bearing the burden of your brother. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to do that on the back of your bulletin there. We gave you the ability to do that. Uh, write down number one, the classifications, the classifications, all right? Uh, Romans 15 gives us two different classifications. Notice letter A, the strong, the strong. Look at verse number 1 with me of Romans 15. The Bible says, We then that are strong, we then that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Um, How do you go about determining whether or not someone is strong or weak? I'll just say this this morning, that those terms are relative, all right? Compared to God, all of us are weak. Amen? Amen? Compared to God, all of us are weak. All of us can find someone around us that is doing better in life than us and say, well, compared to them that I am weak. Uh, but can I say uh, that most folks who call White Oak Baptist Church their church, that drive in a car, uh, that get here uh, through a car and not through our church's bus ministry, most of you are in a pretty strong position in life compared to those that come in on our bus. Let me give you a couple of areas here uh, to help us consider. First of all, financial strength. Financial strength. Um, I did some digging this week. And the average household income in Stratford is $76,000 a year. Some of you might be thinking, I live in Stratford and I don't make $76,000 a year. My household doesn't pull that in. But the average household in Stratford brings in $76,000 a year. Uh, Do you know what the average household income in Bridgeport is? It's $45,000 a year. $45,000 a year. That $30,000 is a big, big, big difference. It's a big difference. Um, Financial strength. Let me give you another area here. Relational strength. Relational strength. Now, I don't want to to paint with a broad brush. So I'll just say this as a disclaimer up front. There are people in Bridgeport that make far more than $76,000. There are people in Stratford that make far less than $45,000. There are people in Bridgeport that have the ideal home and they've got great relationships and they've got great structure. There are people in Stratford whose homes are dysfunctional and broken and a wreck. I get all that. I get it, I get it, I get it. But the average home in middle class America has a relational structure that is far superior to the average home in a lower income neighborhood such as Bridgeport. You all with me so far this morning? You tracking? Okay, Um, I get that there are broken homes in Stratford, but even in the broken homes in middle class America where you have a stepmom or a stepdad, at least there's there's structure there. In many of the homes in Bridgeport and New Haven and many of our other inner cities across this country, what you have is you have the children living with a mom and men rotate through like a like like a rotating door. Right? Uh, they, just, they just funnel through. It's almost like a different flavor of the month or of the year. And a boy or a girl growing up in a home like this has many, many, many different men who have influence in their lives, and many of these men are not good. Now, unless you think that I'm being judgmental, I want you to understand the, 
the poor end of what I'm describing this morning was my dad growing up. My dad grew up in the projects. My dad grew up with, my, my grandmother was married I think eight or nine times before she died and had other living boyfriends on top of that. I get it. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just trying to help shine a light on reality this morning. We, many of us come from homes uh, that are structured well, and we have a structure there, and there is a consistency and a reliability there. Is it perfect? Nope. Is there bickering and arguing and complaining that goes on? Yep. But are, is there a structure in most of our homes? Yes, there is. We come from an area of strength. Let me give you another area, emotional strength, emotional strength. Most of us have the ability to cope with life. Uh, hardships come our way, and we have uh, a family structure around us to help us bear those burdens emotionally, and we know how to handle. Hard times come, come to all of us, but thank God for a social structure that helps us bear that. Many, many, many people who grow up in uh, a home uh, in Bridgeport, they don't have uh, folks they can go to when things get tough that will really help them cope. In fact, they're used to seeing pills get popped and drugs get done, and uh, uh, sorrows get drunk away by alcohol, and uh, abuse, and all of that that comes along with it. And there is, a, a, there is a lack of emotional strength, whereas people who grow up in a more structured home have that emotional strength. Let me give you one more here as far as the strong. Notice strong in principles. Strong in principles. When I was, um, uh, let's see, the months leading up to my marriage, I was... 23, I believe it was. I was living in the Baltimore area, and I, I had a job uh, uh, doing inventory. And there was a, a young man working with me who had grown up in inner city Baltimore in a broken home. And he knew that I was preparing for church ministry, and I knew uh, who he was and what was going on. And uh, he decided to razz me and give me a hard time. And so we're working shoulder to shoulder doing inventory in this room, and he starts to talk about his promiscuous lifestyle. And in talking about that, he is talking about all of the uh, sexual acts that he had been involved in and many of the fantasies that he had. And he's going into gross, disgusting detail uh, talking about these things. And I listened, I listened. And when he got done, he was waiting to get some sort of response or reaction out of me. And I was quiet until it was awkward. And then I spoke up and told him, I said, I'm 23 years old and I am a virgin. And he had something in his hand and he dropped it on the floor to be dramatic. And he looked at me and said, you're what? What's wrong with you? And I said to him, I said, well, I just believe that the marital act, I use the term, I'll be careful because of the crowd we have in the room today. The marital act is meant to be between a husband and a wife inside the confines of marriage only. That's what the Bible teaches. I said, now, I called his name. I said, I think his name was Kevin. I said, Kevin, I don't judge you because I know you grew up in a different uh, uh, situation. I said, but I believe the world would be a whole lot better place if that's where we get things back to. And, uh, and, and he looked at me, and this is what he said. I'll never forget this. He said this. He said, I have never heard of that before. Never heard of that before. You understand that if you are growing up with your family in church and a Bible in your lap and you've been exposed to Scripture and the boundaries that God sets to protect us, then you are growing up from a point of strength. Whereas people who were not taught the Bible, people who were not raised with biblical Judeo-Christian ethics, ethics injected in their home, at a young age, they're coming from a point of weakness. The Bible says in Romans 15, we that are strong, strong financially, strong relationally, strong emotionally, strong in principles. The classifications, letter A, the strong. Notice letter B, the weak, the weak. Look at Romans chapter 15 and verse number 1 again. The Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities, the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Notice the Bible describes the problems that accompany a weak person as 
infirmities, infirmities. When I was a college student living in the dorms, if we wanted to be counted, uh, if we wanted our absence from classes to be excused in the morning, we went down to the nurse's station and we were infirmed to our rooms, infirmed to our rooms. The idea of being infirmed is that you are sick that there's something wrong with you, that you are sick or diseased, or that you struggle uh, uh, with a, a plague of some sort. So the Bible says those that are weak, they are infirmed. Now, uh, I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to say everyone that rides our buses comes from this position, because clearly that's not the case, but many of those, many of those who ride our buses come from abusive homes. They are physically abused. Physically abused. Many of these kids are not spanked. They're beaten. There is a difference between spanking a child and beating a child. They are hit out of anger. Pushed across the floor. I sat in the home of one of our bus families and talked to a grandmother. His grandmother had a very, very angry spirit. Grandmother was yelling at the kids that she was overseeing while I was there making the visit. And she said to me, she said, Well, when I grew up, boy, if you talk to a parent like that, you were taken and thrown across the room. And I looked back at this grandmother and I said, Well, don't you think that that's part of the problem? Don't you think that's part of the problem? Physical abuse. I want you to understand that many, many, many children... Many adults, rather, in our inner cities grew up this way, in an abuse, abusive situation. How about emotionally abused? Emotionally abused. Divorce and separation are normal. In fact, in inner city Bridgeport, a good share of the people that live there either don't know who their father is, or if they know, they have no relationship with him. The father has been pushed out culturally. Again, I'm not judging. I'm just trying to shed light on a reality. Listen this morning. It is emotionally abusive to a child to grow up without an active father role in the life of that child. God made the home For a child to be raised by both a mother and a father. Because a mom and a dad bring different things into a child's life that are important. These children grow up emotionally abused. They grow up socially abused. Socially abused. You and I, when we go through a hard time, we have people we can turn to. That offer us comfort in the Word of God and prayer. Boy, many times when they're going through a hard time, they turn to someone who offers them a harsh tone and coarse language and cursing is the norm and listening to hip-hop music laced with profanity is the norm and drug deals on the corner are the norm and uh, drug overdose and people getting shot up in the neighborhood are the norm. They suffer socially. And many of them suffer sexually. They're sexually abused. Fondled. Molested or raped. There's a non-profit um, called RAIN. R-A-I-N-N. RAIN. It is an organization meant to help end sexual assault and sexual violence. Back in 2016, they reported these numbers. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18, this is in America, experience sexual abuse or sexual assault at the hands of an adult. 82% of all victims under 18 are female. Females ages 16 to 19 are far t- four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, rape or sexual assault. Now listen to this. The effects of child sexual abuse can be long-lasting and affect the victim's mental health. Victims are more likely than non-victims to experience the following mental health challenges. 
they are about four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse. About four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults. They are about three times more likely to experience a major, major depressive episode as adults. You see someone who's strung out on drugs. You see someone who's pulling in welfare check or drawing food stamps. You see someone whose life is riddled with problems. You see someone who just seems as though they can't function in society. And can I tell you what the average Christian middle class Christian does? Can I tell you what the average middle class Christian church does? Can I tell you what the average independent Baptist church member does across this country? They look and they judge. And shame on us. These people don't need us to judge them. They need us to love them. Let me say that again. They don't need us to judge them. They need us to love them. If it weren't for the grace of God, you would be right where they are. I've told this story before and it bears repeating here. I visited a 14-year-old girl named Ina when I was in college doing church ministry. Ina lived in uh, inner city Chicago. And um, Ina, I was visiting her at her home because she had just come home from the hospital from giving birth to a baby at 14. I remember my uh, visitation partner, Andrew, and I visited Ina. And as we left that morning, we came around uh, the, the, the sidewalk there. And Ina lived in a, in a duplex. And on the other side of that duplex, there was a, a, a window open and rap music with every other word being a, a profanity, a, a, the F word. Uh, uh, that music with the F word. Pouring from that window, the bass so strong, it shook the foundation of the house and the baby slipped right on the other side of the wall. And I thought, this child has no chance of growing up and loving God. Look at the environment this child grows in. And it perpetuates generation after generation after generation. You know, um, uh, White Oak Baptist Church, long term, my heart beat and my plan is to see White Oak Baptist Church plant a successful church in the city of New Haven and plant a successful church in the city of Bridgeport. And you know, I got to thinking some time back that um, the way Americans do church, I, I just don't know that we quite have this thing down right. Um, you know, middle class Christians, they, they, they vote at elections and then you go look at a voting map and why doesn't it turn out the way that many middle-class suburbia uh, rural people want it to turn out? You know why? Because the inner-city vote always takes it the other direction. How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning? Can I tell you, uh, well, instead of complaining about uh, the problem at large, can I tell you what we could do? What if, let me just propose something to you this morning. What if every gospel-preaching church in suburbia America filled with middle-class folk, what if every single one of them, Baptists and non-Baptists alike, what if every single one of them were to dig deep in their pocket and dig deep with their time and dig deep with their energy and work to plant a church in the inner city of those, uh, of the inner city of, 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 of where they live on the outskirts of town, what if every single one of them around America planted a church in the inner city? Can I tell you, we'd fix the problem in a generation. You know what that requires, though? That requires sacrifice. Now, we're not in a place right now, financially, as a church, to plant a church in Bridgeport, in New Haven. We're just not there yet. But I sure hope, before I cease being the pastor of this church, decades from now, that we've planted many churches all over the area. You know what we can do right now? We can rent a bus. And we can drive into the inner city. And we can put boys and girls and men and women on that bus. And we can bring them to the suburbs. And we can offer them church here. I think that's the least we can do. Amen? I think, I think we owe it to them. You know, that's what Jesus did. He was the strong. And He came down to help the weak. Number one, we see... 
the classification. Number two, notice the commandment. The commandment. Paul, through the inspiration of God, begins this chapter by telling us that there are the strong and the weak. Then he lays out some commandments for the strong and how they are to handle the weak. Uh, Letter A, notice, to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor. Look at Romans chapter 15 and look at verse number 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Notice the language there in verse 2. We are to... Please our neighbor. And this is the weak neighbor. We are to edify uh, the neighbor. That means we're to build them up. An edifice is a building. And uh, you, you build up a building one brick at a time. And so, listen, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this phrase down. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. Oh, the plate comes by and you think, well, I'll throw in a few dollars to help the bus ministry. You know what? You can do that and wash your hands and say, I did my part. I helped and that's great. I'm done. But you know what? If you love deeply, you can't help but give. You can't help it. To love your neighbor. Notice letter B. Letter B. To deny your own comfort. To deny your own comfort. Look back at verse number 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. How is it that we uh, edify? How is it that we please our neighbor? We must deny our own comfort in order to love our neighbor. Watch this now. To the degree that you deny your own comfort, to that degree you enable yourself to love your neighbor. Now, I know a whole lot of people who are very, very fanatical about certain things that are their hobbies, that are their hobbies, all right? Let me give you an example of people who are fanatical. You ever heard of a sports fan? A sports fan? How about this? There are people who are fanatical about interior design. How many of you are enjoying the Christmas decorations in the building? If not, take a look around. I'm thankful for people who are fanatical about interior design. There's nothing wrong with that. How about scrapbooking? Any of you folks here, hopefully not any of the men, any of you ladies ever get involved in scrapbooking? If you're a man and you scrapbook, I'm going to need to take your man card, all right? Um, scrapbooking. How about this one? Um, uh, hunting and fishing. Boy, there are people out there, they love to hunt and fish. And, and then the wife can scrapbook about, anyway. Um, technology. Uh, there are people who are fanatical about technology. And uh, how about this one? Politics. Some people are fanatical about politics. Can I, can I make an admission right now? I'm sick of politics. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm just sick of it. And I know, I know, I know there's someone in the crowd saying, but pastor, it's our civic duty to know. It's our civic duty to respond. It's our civic duty to be involved. And I agree with that. I understand with that. And I even, I would even uh, second that. But I just have to tell you, this election cycle has wore me out. How many of you would agree with that statement this morning? You are just exhausted. I don't want to hear anything else about the news. You say, pastor, we need to be involved. Thank you for being involved. I encourage you to be involved. When it's time for me to stand up and be involved, I will be. But I'm tired of politics. But nonetheless, you have people who are just all in on politics. They've got their favorite news personality. They've got their favorite news channel. And they watch it 24-7. But listen, I would just say, insert your own personal hobby. What are you fanatical about? For the parents in here, maybe it's your kids. Right? Chasing them around everywhere and watching them go to soccer practice or basketball practice or cheerleading practice or gymnastics, whatever it is that you do. Uh, some of you in here are fanatical uh, about some sort of art. Maybe that's um, uh, 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 drawing or taking pictures or uh, whatever it is. Maybe it's playing the piano or music of some sorts, but you have your personal hobby. Uh, you know, we will not be judged in heaven for how fanatical we were about these earthly things. We will be judged in heaven with how we helped bear the infirmities of the weak. You understand that? We will be judged in heaven. You know, I wonder what would happen if Christians in this country would become a little less fanatical about things that were earthly and became a little bit more fanatical about things that were eternal. 
We were to take all that energy we were pouring into things that don't matter, and we were to pour it in on things that mattered. I wonder, I wonder how quick revival would come. I, I picture someone who's a big sports fan. And they stand before the throne of heaven one day, and, they, and God says, what did you do with your life? And they say, go team! Hey, my team won the Super Bowl! My team won the World Series! My team won the championship! Hey, alright! you got that big fat finger you're holding up, and God looks at you and says, I don't care one iota about that. And all of a sudden, there's a dropping of the head and a realization of, Boy, I was concerned about my own comfort. I sure wasn't very concerned about loving my weak brother, my weak sister. The command, the classifications. Number three, notice the caregiver. The caregiver. Look at verse number three of Romans 15. The ultimate caregiver, our pattern, our example. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Let me give you an A and a B back to back here. Notice letter A, speaking of Christ, his self-denial. His self-denial. Letter B, notice his sacrifice. His sacrifice. Notice that these two go hand in hand. You cannot sacrifice for the betterment of others unless you're willing to deny yourself something that is convenient, something that is enjoyable, something that is fun. If you're going to be a blessing to other people, then you know what? You must sacrifice. And I would just say this morning that strong and weak are relative terms. They're relative terms. And uh, all of us in here compared to others are strong. I remember when I was um, a few years back when April was probably four or five years old, we took them uh, to the Big E. And at the Big E, they had a circus. And I've never been to a circus. My dad didn't take me to one growing up. And I learned why, because there's a bunch of immodest women running around. But uh, and, and, uh, but I took my, uh, my children in there, and probably won't do it again, but took them in there one time. And I remember, there we are, sitting in the circus, and they, this big Mongolian man came out and there's this beam this wooden beam and he picked this thing up and he began to spin it around and he put it on his back and it was spinning on his back and my daughter's jaw just drops open. I mean you have to understand that to this five year old little girl her dad is the strongest man on the planet and no one's going to tell her otherwise and then two scantily clad women came out and they sat on either end of that pole and he's spinning the pole around with these girls on it and April reaches over and she tugs on my shirt and I look at her and she says, you're not the strongest man I know anymore. And I said, what do you know? He's the only one though. He's it. Other than that, Dad's the strongest man on earth. Didn't take her long to realize that wasn't true. You know, all of us are strong compared to somebody. And all of us are weak compared to somebody. Tonight, this morning rather, I want you to take your eyes off your weaknesses. And I want you to put it on the weaknesses of someone who's less strong than you are. And I want you to ask yourself this question. In what way am I denying myself so that I can sacrifice for someone else? How am I being like Christ? You see, Isaiah 53 tells us Christ was despised and rejected of men. Why? Because He was bearing my sinful infirmities. It says Christ was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Why? Because He was bearing my weaknesses. Christ was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. In all of the accusations against Christ, Isaiah 53 says that He opened not His mouth. Why? Because He was bearing my weaknesses. Christ pleased not Himself so that He could bear the reproach of my sin. He that was Almighty bore my infirmities in His body. He suffered on my behalf. He suffered on your behalf. Christ is our ultimate example of how to deny the flesh and sacrifice for the weak. What if Christ had your attitude toward the weak? 
What if Christ treated hellbound uh, 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 souls the way that you treat the bus ministry? Well, Pastor, I'm fond of the idea, just as long as someone else doesn't. Well, what if Jesus has said, well, I'm fond of redemption's plan, but just as long as someone else does it. Listen, just like Christ is your caregiver, He wants you to take those who are weak among you, and He wants you to be their caregiver. Number one, the classifications. Number two, the commandment. Number three, the caregiver. Number four, our compelling. Our compelling. Look down at verse number four. Romans 15. So whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope for our learning. I hope you'll listen to this part of the sermon, because this is as critical of the ser- part of the sermon as the rest of it. What does the Bible mean to you? Can I tell you that most Christians are very, very, very selfish people? I became self-aware of a struggle I have within the last year, and I've been working on it. The struggle is how quick I am to talk about myself during a conversation. You know what I realized when I became self-aware? I also became aware that others are not self-aware. Too many of us are too busy worrying about number one. Boy, everything's got to be about you, doesn't it? You know, Christians treat the Bible the same way. How can this book tell me how I can go to heaven? Oh, I'm not concerned about how they go to heaven. I'm concerned about me and how I go to heaven. How can this book right here tell me how I can have a better quality of life? How can this book right here uh, tell me how I can have a better marriage? How I uh, can have uh, better parenting skills? We want to take advantage of the Bible for ourselves. But my friend, the Bible is the ultimate book promoting selflessness. Less of self. John the, Baptist, or John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Boy, when we pick up the Bible and we start reading it so that the Bible can show us how we can bear the infirmities of others, how that we can have a knowledge of hope, not just for ourselves, so that we can show it To others, boy, we are compelled, the deeper we know this Bible, not only to improve our own quality of life, but to go forth and take the truth and help enrich someone else's life. Our compelling. If all you do is come to church and listen to the Bible get preached and get fed and get fed and get fed and get fed, too many Christians sitting in churches and today in this country are spiritually fat and they're doing nothing with the knowledge of the Bible. It's not enough for you just to know. It's great that you know. You have to go forth and do something with it. You have to go forth and help someone else who's weak. Our compelling, number five, notice our charge. Our charge. Look at Romans 15, verse number five. The Bible says, Now the God of patience and consolation. Aren't you glad that God is a God of patience? He gives us time to hear a sermon like this, and then we can get with it. Amen? The God of patience and consolation. That word consolation means encouragement. Grant you, notice the phrase here, to be like-minded One toward another. That means the strong are like-minded with the weak. According to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice those words, glorify God. Verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Verse 5 tells us we are to be like-minded with Christ, as He was our caregiver, we are to care for others. Verse six tells us that when we do this, it glorifies God. And verse seven gives us the key here: we are to receive 
everyone. And uh, it's time for Christians to not just get fed the Word, but go forth and live the Word. You may ask this morning, well, how can I help bear the burdens of the week? Let me give you just a few ways you can do that by way of conclusion. We're, we'll give you these with little, very little comment here. First of all, we need prayer warriors. Some of you are not capable physically of getting on a bus and helping. Maybe time restraints prevent you at this time in your life from doing that. Boy, we need people to get on their knees and pray for our bus ministry. Pray that it's safe and it goes out and picks up these folks and there's no accidents. And boy, the last thing we need is someone getting hurt or injured or even dying in an accident. Pray that they're safe. Uh, pray that the riders are uh, safe spiritually and emotionally and physically at home. Pray that they choose Christ and they get saved. Boy, it's been neat to see a few of those who ride our bus the last couple of weeks come to a saving knowledge of Christ after attending for a couple of months. We need people to pray. Your prayers matter. You may not be at a time in your life right now where you really can get involved uh, with your time and energy, but you can pray. Some of you can do pray, but you can also give. Consider taking the offering envelope and the bus ministry part of it and giving a little above what you regularly give to help reach more people with the gospel. Some of you in here, uh, you could work on the bus route. One of the best things that happened to me when I was a little boy is my dad put me on a bus route that he was the bus captain of. And he took me to the inner city. I'm going to make a strong statement here, and I don't mean to judge or attack anyone, but I mean what I'm about to say. Middle class, upper middle class kids who are never exposed to abject poverty are warped. They're warped. They think that the whole world is like they have it. They cannot relate with or understand someone who is poor. I'm thankful that I learned what weed smelled like when I was just an eight-year-old boy. I'm thankful that I saw a porch covered in beer cans as a small child and the dysfunctionality that came from alcoholism. I didn't know what it was and I didn't fully understand, but... I saw prostitutes walking streets as a child. You say, didn't that mess you up? No, I would have been messed up had I not seen it. One of the best things that a young family can do in this church, oh, I mean this with all my heart, one of the best things that a family can do in this church with young children is get involved with the bus ministry. Oh, well, they might hear a cuss word. Good. You can teach them right and wrong. It's okay to expose your children to sin. It's not okay to entertain your children with sin. It's a big difference. Big difference. Boy, the best thing that a dad could do in this church with small children and a family is say, Pastor, we want to visit and ride the bus. Let your children see it. Experience it. Let your children see you loving on the weak. We need bus captains. Why can't we have five buses that we rent each week that go into New Haven and Bridgeport and bring in hundreds of people to church? We're only as limited as the mentality and mindset of the people who drive cars to this church. Listen, I know there's excuses. We can all make them. You know what excuses represent? They represent the fact that we just really don't want to do it. Because if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to do it. Maybe not right away, but you'll work your way to it. We need laborers in the harvest. Boy, if somebody here, I finished the sermon with this, if somebody here 
were to just say, you know what, Pastor? I'm all in. Sign me up. They're going to get to heaven, stand at the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to walk away. I guarantee you'll find someone like me and say, thank you for pushing me to do that. Boy, that didn't go well, but it went a whole lot better than it could have had I not signed up and helped reach the poor. How about it? Are you bearing the burden of your weak brother? Or are you just too concerned with being comfortable in life? It's time for Christians to get off their ease in Zion and be like Jesus. Jesus was surrounded with the outcasts of society and he was criticized for it. Boy, I want to be like Jesus. I don't know about you. Let's have our heads about a nice close this morning. As the preacher, I really try to walk the line between preaching truth and doing the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. It's not my job to convict your heart. It's not. That's the Spirit of God's job. But I sure want to preach the truth in a way that gives Him every opportunity to do that. White Oak Baptist Church, member, attendee, why don't you take a moment right where you are and just ask God, what would you have me do? How would you help have me be involved? Set your reservations to the side. Lord, you gave your life for me. I can give my life back to you. If he was willing to die for you, are you willing to live for him? Who here this morning would say, Pastor, God has showed me something concrete that I can begin to do? Pastor, here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Something I can do, some way I can contribute, some way I can be involved in bearing the burden of my brother. I'll keep him up for a moment. How about it today, Christian? Lord, would you help us to be Christians who are like our Christ? May we put down our pharisaical stones, stop judging those that are not like us, May we learn how to come along their side and show them the love that you showed us when we got saved. Lord, may we do our part to reach this community. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those who work so hard to bring in those that ride our bus. Thank you for the impact this church has had for the many years. Thank you for Michael Peslak and his vision to get the bus ministry started here at this church. May we never, ever, ever let this ministry fade away. May we fight tooth and nail to see it continue. May it not just continue, but may it thrive. Lord, help each person here today to make a decision for you. In Jesus' name.